also a great way for churches to say, um, how can we help? Or this is working at my church and we've reached out. Um, as we've talked about this restoration, I don't know if you've noticed in so many of the stories, but that stories ki- of what we've heard, so many of the trauma and issues started as children, right? And we've seen how God has worked. And so I just was thinking, man, what if we caught kids early and they were restored to Jesus um, early and that they didn't have to live this life of, of uh, tortured adulthood or <laughs> mental illness and depression and all of those things and we could impact their lives with the gospel. And so um, it's a great opportunity. So whether you're here today because you're just like, testing the waters, interested, you just love kiddos like so many of us, or your church, Um, I'm telling you, DCS um, and DHS, whatever you call it in your area that is the the agency that helps with the social work side of kids, um, they need Jesus. (laughs) We've had so many caseworkers, I haven't met a single believer yet. So even that side of it is an amazing ministry for churches. So we just want to welcome you. Please feel free. This is like talk back. Um, Pastor Farrell is going to Uh, share with us a little bit about his story and what his church has done. It's just been incredible. So you're going to get to hear a very inspiring story. And then we're going to finish with a panel where you can ask some questions, um, but really dialogue among us, not just, we are certainly not experts. Um, There's some of us who are, I think they're expert foster parents. There are some of you in the room, so you can answer questions about that. But we're also just, uh, you know, just like you leaders who have a heart for something, or maybe you're here because the Holy Spirit told you to come, and you're about to find out a new direction and a new risk to take. So let's just pray, and then we're going to get started with Pastor Farrell. God, we thank you so much. Um, like we heard this morning from Pastor Joel, that the the Foursquare Gospel is for kids, and that that brings restoration in lives. And so we just open our hearts and our minds right now in this moment and say, "Speak to us, Holy Spirit. We want to bring restoration. We want to see your power in the lives." of our communities. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to understand what you're calling us to, that you would help us to understand a little bit about what life might look like for other people and other children, that you would help give us insight, that you give us wisdom, and that we would be creative in the ways that we would bring restoration to people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Natalie. My name's uh, Farrell Lemmings. I pastor Grace Covenant Church in North Carolina. It's a privilege to get to hang out with you this morning. I'll tell a little bit of my story as I progress through our story. This is my wife, Charlotte, um, and we are both foster and adoptive parents, so we'll tell a bit of our story through our time. But just to help me know who we have in the room today, how many are lead pastors? How many lead pastors? Awesome. Thank you for being here. What about... um, I think she asked a question, but I didn't see the show of hands. Foster, if you're presently fostering or have adopted, awesome. You're my heroes. Thank you for stepping up to make a difference. You know, I'm grateful that within our Foursquare family that this has become a priority. You know, this is the second year that we've had a workshop concerning children in crisis, um, and so I believe that God, God's given us an assignment as a family, as a four-square family, a broader assignment to the church at large. But I am grateful to be a part of uh, a church family that says this, this has to be a priority. The church has to come to the front lines. Um, secondly, I'm, uh, a second area of things would be to Susan Spasta, who's the director of our task force. She kind of keeps us all on schedule for our calls and her heart for this ministry, the support that she gives and the influence that she has um, with the corporate level to make sure that we get to have workshops like this. So I'm grateful for Susan uh, and her leadership and her investment into uh, foster care and adoption. Well, as you would probably know, we have a crisis in our nation today as it relates to children who were created in the image of God, born with great purpose and potential, yet... By no choice of their own, they find themselves in crisis situations. And what they need is they need someone to step in and be an advocate. They need someone to step in and intervene in the crisis of their lives. Uh, The children were innocent, yet they find themselves in situations where their future is being challenged. And oftentimes, the potential that I believe God's placed within them Uh, gets lost in the process. And I believe that the church, the body of Christ, the Foursquare family has a calling and a responsibility to be the people that God would use to bring restoration. 
You know, this, the theme of this whole conference is restoration. Well, I believe there's a restoration that needs to happen in our nation, in our communities, and it has to do with children in crisis. And again, I believe that we can make a difference. That's what drives me. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, we can make a difference. <laughs> we mobilize the church. We can make a difference. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, the present crisis of, of children in our nation who need to be restored to a family, and then how, how we as the church can be a part of that process. We have some resources for you. I think that will be helpful uh, that the task force has put together that will give you some guidance, and we'll talk more about those as we get to the end. But I want to begin with a phenomenal story of restoration that happened for a young boy. His name is Boone. Uh, and uh, interesting, this family, though they don't attend our congregation, they live in our community. And it's a phenomenal story playing out that I believe um, is the potential of what could happen in thousands of lives of children uh, across our great nation. So. This is about an eight-minute video, so it's a little long, but it is a phenomenal story. So let's watch this video. So let's start that over. Let's see if we can figure out the problem, because I don't want you to miss the first of it. Does anyone know more than I know about technology? Could he? So I was mainly taking care of my brother and sisters. The day that someone came to get me, I just thought that I was a little nervous and scared. And I was like, you're not taking me away. And I didn't know if, if it was what to do. So I was just like just waiting. And I was, at, I was just like done. My brother and sister came with me, but then we did get split up. All my life I felt like that I had to be with them. but. I just was a little nervous and scared because I was there like like daddy bear watching over them and they got broken apart. I was in 10 different foster families. The foster families were like some basically weren't good to me because like they spanked me, some just put me in a corner. They weren't good to me also because they were like yelling at me and like did things that I don't even think I deserved but going to home to home was pretty hard they were like I felt like they were almost like kicking me out when I left I had a trash bag and put everything into like I was basically garbage or trash being thrown away some were also good some were happy some were joyful, some I thought could have been forever, but there was, I need one person which I would become their son. A son means that a family means that you're family forever no matter what. I grew up Outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and in high school was voted to be most likely to be married by my sophomore year in college. And college came and went, and I wasn't. And I saw my friends getting married in their 20s, and I had dreams of being married and having kids since I was probably 12. My 30s came, and I wasn't married. And then when I had when I had a, a girlfriend break up with me in my late 30s, I decided I was I didn't want to wait until I was too old play with a child to have one and I'd always wanted to adopt and ask God if it was okay if I adopted alone and the first few years I asked I heard no uh, that it wasn't time and then when I was 41 I asked and I heard yes for the first time I went to the foster care 
orientation class and loved it and got signed up for the next class starting in just a couple of weeks. When my license came in, there were emails that came of this child needs a home, this child needs a home, and there was nothing in the profiles that scared me, but none of them, none of them settled my heart. And then literally, I think it was maybe 10 or 11 days after I got my license, it was a Monday morning, and I got an email for a little boy that was eight. And there, was a, there were a lot of behaviors in the profile that I think would have scared a lot of new parents. But I had a complete peace that this boy that I was reading about on this Monday morning was supposed to be my child. So I responded to the, my social worker and she sent in my information and I was rejected and told that the last couple of placements that this boy had had been single dads and they just didn't want to try it for a third time. They didn't think it would work. And in my heart, I knew he was mine. And I asked my social worker, can I write them a letter? Can I ask for this child again? And she said, you know, my 20-something years, I've never heard of that, but I'll deliver it. So I typed up an email about my plans for his life and what I would do for him. And I sent it off. <laughs> and the very next morning, they called and said, come in for an interview. And at the end of the interview, his social worker was crying. And she looked at me and she said, no one's ever fought for this child in his entire life. And you're fighting for him without ever knowing it. So we're going to give it a shot. From the day that I got the yes from God that I could go, it was nine months until my son's life. I happened to be on the phone with my best friend when I saw the car pull up. And <laughs> this little boy, all dressed in red, popped out of the car and I saw him starting to run towards the house. And I said on the phone, he's here. I can't believe he's so little and so cute. And I swung the door open and he walked in with two social workers and she said, you know, you two have something in common. You're both really good huggers. And I got down in front of him and I said, can I give you a hug? He picked me up and we were like, we're seeing who can hug each other better. And he picked me up, swung me around and he hugged me so tight. And I'm like, you win. And we were seeing who can hug each other more. And then he said, no one's ever hugged me like that before. And I certainly knew at that moment he would never walk outside this house, that he was mine forever. I remember that was the best moment of my life because I remember when he swung open the door. And it was a great moment. But I'll never forget. that little boy that walked in and truly did just about everything we're warned in foster care could happen, happened to the incredible child that sits before us today. It's mind-blowing. God restored, he redeemed, and he rescued. My daddy will shine on you. I am the Lord your God. I raised your parents. I see visions of who he's going to become. And he's a world changer. And all of these kids trapped in a system that they don't belong in and shouldn't even exist. Every one of them has the potential to change the world. But somebody's got to change their world first.
I love that line that within every child, there's the potential to change the world. But first, someone has to change their world. We were blessed uh, about three weeks ago to have Cecil and Boone come. We did a dinner for uh, foster parents, adopted parents, just to honor them and encourage them. And they were our guests for the evening and told their story and let us ask questions. And it was a phenomenal evening. But I think this is one story of a lot of stories obviously happening, but it's the story of the potential of what can happen when individuals who love Jesus become engaged and involved in the lives of children in crisis and children in need. In this situation, there's this young boy, Boone, who had obviously a pretty rough life up to this point, and all that Cecil did was step up and make himself available. I mean, mean that's really the story, you know. God had blessed him with resource and ability and lots of love to give. And there was these paths that connected. And uh, it's interesting now that that Boone's been in in Cecil's care for about three years. Um, Cecil is actually homeschooling him. They're going through a whole process of uh, taking a sabbatical from media. Boone wasn't too happy about that, but... uh, just talking about the transformation that's happened through it. Just a phenomenal story. And again, so many of those stories happening around the world. But this is what I know. Boone's life, the young boy's life and future is forever changed. Forever changed. Who knows what's going to happen out of his life as a result of one man who was willing to step up and make an investment and to bring the love of Jesus, the restoration of Jesus into Boone's life. But I want to tell you a little bit of my own story, uh, our story of fostering and adoption. It's a long story, so I'll try to make it short. I graduated from Bible College in 1990, uh, Life East Bible College, went on staff at Grace Covenant in North Carolina. At that time, Glenn Burris was the senior pastor, so I had the privilege of working with Glenn for a couple years. And then my wife and I transitioned to West Texas, uh, took a a church way out in the middle of nowhere, like it was uh, 40 miles to the closest Walmart. If we wanted to go see a movie, it was 90 miles. So like we were out in the middle of nowhere, rural community, farmers in oil hands, uh, but wonderful folks, beautiful people. And it's there that we had our first pastoral assignment as lead pastors. And as we were serving in this little rural community, what we began to see is we began to see the, the need of just children in crisis, like um, children who needed someone to intervene. And so we volunteered to serve on the Child Welfare Board for Knox County. That's what it was called in that region. And we became engaged in hosting some events and being a part of that. And then we felt like, well, we should get licensed for foster care. Uh, So we went through the MAP classes. If you're a foster parent, I don't know what they call it exactly where you live, but In Texas, it was called MAP, so we went through 30 hours of training, um, all the things that we had to do, and we became foster parents. Um, The first children that came into our home, uh, a little girl by the name of Megan, she was three, and I think Thomas was about 18 months. Megan had been um, abandoned by her mom. Thomas, at 18 months, um, was taken away from the mom when he was taken to the emergency room unconscious. And so they came into our lives, and they were with us for 13 months. In that time period, we had another little boy, J.D., who came into our home. When J.D. came into our home, literally from the top of his, uh, his belt loops, the top of his pants down to his knees, he was purple, black, yellow, just the bruising from the beating that was happening from not the mom, but a, a live-in man who was bringing um, what he thought was discipline. And J.D. was with us for six months before he was restored back to his mom. We also did emergency take-ins. We had a lot of different kids in and out of our home where they they just needed a place to land for a couple days. So that was our first experience with foster care and children in crisis. We had an opportunity to leave uh, the wilderness of West Texas to go back to the promised land in North Carolina. (laughs) And we jumped at it. Um, And as we returned back to North Carolina to assume the lead pastor role in Grace Covenant where we had been prior to, um, church life was really busy. Um, I mean, a lot of things were happening, and, and life just got, a, we got caught up in 
the business and ministry in life and really didn't do much with foster care adoption um, until at that time I was serving on the board of directors for our denomination. I was coming back from Los Angeles on a flight from Los Angeles to North Carolina. And when I fly, my assistant knows I want to be as close as I can get to the front and I want to be on the aisle. And so whenever she books me a flight, close as I can get to the front and I'm on the aisle. For whatever reason, on this flight, I ended up in the very back corner of the plane. I mean, you couldn't get any further back than I was. And what I, what I didn't know at the time is that God was setting me up for an encounter on an airplane. Uh, um, you know, you have defining moments in life. And I, I had one on an airplane. I was reading a little book. And I was trying to get one of these books for you, and they are presently back-ordered. It's called Little Town Big Miracle. Um, and you're going to get that in the resource packet that we give you. And I was reading this book, very back of the plane, and I got wrecked by the Holy Spirit. And I started just crying uncontrollably. I, I, you say, you can stop crying. I couldn't stop. I mean, I was just, the Holy Spirit used that book to capture my attention, basically to say, you got to get back in the game. Um, and interesting, as I was having this encounter by the Holy Spirit, uh, as I returned to North Carolina, and I knew we had to do something. I didn't know what, but I knew we had to do something to mobilize the church. Well, unbeknown to me, one of our elders uh, at Grace Covenant, we have couples who serve as elders. Well, the, the, um, Betsy, one of our elders, uh, had a dream one night, and this was her dream. Uh, she had a vivid dream of children drowning in a pool that needed to be rescued. Now, I had no idea she was had this dream, but she had this dream, and she was struggling with it. I know this dream means something, but I don't know what it means. So unbeknown to me that she had had the dream, I felt prompted to ask Betsy to help me launch a task force so that we could mobilize Grace Covenant in some way to address the issue of foster care and adoption. So when I told her, what had happened to me, and she told me about this dream. It was obviously, I mean, it was obvious that God was up to something. And so out of that, uh, we started a ministry at Grace Covenant that we call the Father's Heart because I truly believe it is the Father's Heart. This issue that we're talking about today is the heart of our Father for children in crisis and in need. And so out of the Father's Heart ministry today uh, at Grace Covenant, we have we have more than, I don't know exactly how many, but I know we have more than 40 families who are either fostering or adopting or have adopted. Uh, as we have just said, hey, we got to talk about this. We have to mobilize the church to the need. I have a couple, I could, so many stories I could tell, but, but a couple stories. Um, and, and one is uh, Gary Craig, who's here with us. Gary serves our church family. Uh, has for years as a part of the administrative staff. Gary and his wife, Bonnie, are also elders at Grace Covenant. They raised three girls, did a phenomenal job. Bonnie did a phenomenal job. Gary and Bonnie did a phenomenal job raising three girls. <laughs> Moving into the empty nest season, you know, we all look forward to that, right? Empty nest season. And in the midst of that, uh, the Holy Spirit captured their hearts. The Holy Spirit wrecked them and and Gary would say this is the most significant ministry they've ever done. They opened their lives and their home to foster children. They brought in a family of five, a sibling group of five. Out of that sibling group of five, they've now adopted four of the five. So they raised three children. Now they're starting again with four more. Um, and I believe, Gary, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all four of the children have received Christ as their Savior and been water baptized as they've been in your home? Is that close to Not baptized yet, but they've all received Christ as their Savior. And their lives, as I have watched it happen, their lives are being transformed. Um, and so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because what we're talking about is right. It's so God-honoring. But it's not always easy. It's the right thing to do. It's not always the easy thing to do. And then there's another family uh, in our congregation who raised four children uh, who are 
now all adult children, and God grabbed their hearts concerning the crisis of children in need, and they've adopted three, and they're in the process of adopting four. So they're starting family over again, uh, and the lives of those children will be forever changed, just like the children that Gary and Bonnie are loving on. Their lives will never be the, change, never be the same. Because here's children who have great purpose, great potential, created in the image and likeness of God, but along the way, the injustices of life got them off track. Now someone to step in to intervene in that crisis. Well, in the midst of starting uh, the Father's Heart Ministry, uh, my wife and I got a bit of surprise. Uh, we were kind of helping direct this, though we were not directly involved in it. In 2000, out of the blue, uh, we received a call and said, would you be interested in adopting? Um, a friend happened to be, one of our elders called and said, hey, here's the situation, my sister's pregnant. Would you be interested in adopting? Would you consider that? And we prayed about it for a week, and we really felt like God was dropping something into our life. We had struggled with 15 years of infertility, uh, and it had come to the place with God. We had come to the place where we said, God, if, if we never have children, if that's your plan, uh, we're okay with that. And then out of the blue, we get this call. And so I have a picture of our son, Caleb. We're... So Caleb was born in October of 2000. Uh, he's now 18. He's graduating next week. Uh, so that's our son, Caleb. Uh, and then two years, almost two years later, we got another call um, from a friend who said, would you consider this situation, played out this situation. Again, children conceived who were in situations where uh, they would be challenged in their future simply because there was not the support system around them to invest in them. And, and so we, again, prayed about it, and uh, we thought we were uh, adopting a, s a second boy. Actually, we had a name for him. It was going to be, um, we, we were going to have a Jonathan, we were going to have a Caleb, and a, um, I'm, I'm sorry, we were a Joshua. We, Joshua Don was the name we had picked out. And, and when our daughter was born, we were surprised. Uh, and so this is our daughter, Grace. Um, and amazing, my wife was in the delivery room with both of, of the children when they were born. And uh, our daughter, Grace, now is, is 16. And so along the way, God surprised us with two children. And it's been, again, not easy, but right. God honoring. And so that's a bit of... A bit of our story. So let me talk with you about the crisis that's happening in our nation today. My clock out here so I can stay on track. Wow, I'm going to have to talk quick. The crisis in our world as we think about orphans care and, and um, you know, there's, there's, a, a, there's a greater issue as we think globally, but as we think local, what's happening in your community? What's happening in our nation? So I want to focus in on that and, and just kind of paint a picture for you of what's happening in our nation. Today, there's an estimated 427,762 children in foster care in the United States. And that's an estimated number, obviously, because it's constantly changing. But today, about 427,762 children. I know in the state of North Carolina, where I pastor, there's 10,538 children today in foster care. The county in which I reside, in which Grace Covenant resides, um, there's 534 children in foster care. Um, and so that's right where I live. That's the mission field right where I live. And just to, I don't know what states are represented here, but I pulled some stats on some other states. The state of Oregon has 7,489 children in foster care. The state of Washington has 10,364. The state of California has 51,537. The state of Texas has 30,577. The state of Ohio has 13,709 children. The average length of a child staying in foster care is about 32 months. And of the 427,000 762 children, about 107,000 of those have been cleared for adoption, meaning that they're looking for a forever home. They're looking for a family who will bring them in and create a place of care for them. 
See, I believe, though the number's large, I believe it's a problem we can solve. That's a conviction that I live with. I believe that as we as the church step up, we can bring help in this situation. So, so let me talk with you for just a moment about restoring children in crisis. There's four convictions that I, that I live with that drive me when it comes to this issue of, crisis, of the crisis of children in need. Four convictions. The first is this. I think you have a little handout. All of it's there on the handout. Every child deserves a family where they're loved, nurtured, and cared for. Every child. I don't know what your story was growing up. I was blessed to grow up in a home where I was loved, directed, corrected. Um, I was taught how to work. I was taught how to treat people, how to live out relationships. I mean, I was blessed with a phenomenal um, growing up experience. But there's a lot of children today who are in crisis situations. And I believe that for every child, they deserve to be nurtured, loved, cared for. Listen, children don't, they don't deserve to be abused. Children don't deserve to be abandoned or rejected. So every child, every child deserves a place where they can experience life-giving, life-shaping love. Here's a second conviction. Every Christ follower can do something to make a difference in the life of a child in crisis needing foster care or adoption. This is a huge emphasis for us as a congregation. Here's the question, what's your something? I present that all of the time to the church that I lead. What's your something? Everyone can do. Listen, not everyone can be a foster parent. Not everyone should be a foster parent. Not everyone can be an adoptive parent. I mean, it takes a unique skill set. So I don't, I don't believe everyone's called to be a foster parent, but I believe everyone can do something to make a difference in the life of the child. So how do we mobilize? How do we mobilize the church to that? You know, 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has, he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. So what's the something? How can we mobilize individuals in our congregation to the something? Here's a third conviction. Every church has a mandate to act on behalf of children in crisis. Listen, we don't need to take a vote at Foursquare Connection to say, should we get involved? <laughs> Every church has a mandate. I, listen, I don't, I don't need to pray about, God, do you want me to get in the game? It's already defined. James 1.27 says, pure religion, undefiled before God the Father is to care for the orphans and the widows. As the church, as the body of Christ, as the four square family, hear me, we have a mandate. But here's, here's the problem that I see happening, at least where I live, and maybe it's the same where you live, is that the church, the body of Christ, we have abdicated our responsibility and we've said, this is really messy, let's let the government do it. And we stepped out of the game. And we, and we passed it off to the government. And again, I'm not being critical. There's some wonderful folks that we get to work with in our county. Um, but in our county, they're not doing so well. And as I work with this task force, and I hear the stories coming from other regions in the United States, um, the system's struggling. What do they need? They need a partner in the game. Who's the partner? I believe that it has to be the church. So the church has a mandate. Here's a fourth conviction that I have, and this one really drives me. We can solve the orphan crisis in our nation today. All we have to do is mobilize the church. This is, hear me. This is a solvable problem. I mean, think about it. I gave you this number earlier, 427,762 uh, children in foster care. That's the number, give or take. You know, you know how many Protestant churches there are in the United States today? A little over 300,000. It's not counting the Catholic churches. So if we take the Catholic churches and we add the Catholic churches to the Protestant churches, we have well over 400,000. Do the math. Listen, I'm not real good at math. I'm a little better at theology than I am math. But I can do the math here. If we have over 400,000 churches and we have 427,000 children in foster care, all we need is one church, one church stepping up for one child, and we just solve the problem. One church stepping up to make a difference in the life of one child, 
and the problem solved. I know in Mecklenburg County, and our county's a little different because we're in the Bible Belt of the South, but in Mecklenburg County, again, where we reside, there's over a 1,000 churches in our county. And there's 534 children in the system. I mean, we only need half of the churches in Mecklenburg County to step up, and we've just solved the problem in our immediate community. So we can solve this problem. So how do we do it? How can you be a part of mobilizing your church? And again, you're going to get this resource. Um, we're going to give this to you before you leave. But I want to reference this. Westside Church in Bend, Oregon has done a phenomenal job mapping out a strategy. And so I would encourage you, check out the resource. Check out what they're doing at Westside Church. They're, they have a phenomenal ministry going there for children in crisis, and they give you a game plan. If you're looking for a game plan, they've laid it out. So that resource is available for you. But, but how, can we be a, how, can we a, how can we be a part of mobilizing the church? And I, I you walk you through some ideas. Um, that you can think about and process and say, hey, how might this work for where God's called me to serve? The first thing I would encourage you to do is prayerfully consider what God has for you to do. Listen, there's not a single right plan. I'm going to talk with you about what we're doing, but I'm not certain what we're doing is going to work exactly where God's planted you. So really, you need to seek the heart of God. God, I know you're calling us into the game. I know we have a role to play. I know we have an assignment. What's the assignment? What does, what does, that, what does that look like? You know, different sized churches have different amounts of resource. Resource of people and resource of dollars. So, so that's going to shape maybe what it looks like for you. But really to spend time in prayer, God, how would you have us go about this? Again, we're not praying about should we do it. It's already defined. Right? God, so what, what would you have us do? How would you have us mobilize the church that you've called us to serve? Here's the second thing I would encourage you to do is engage the lead pastor in conversation about the present crisis of children in need. Now, because I'm a lead pastor, what I know about lead pastors is they don't need you to put something else on their plate for them to do. You know, I, I, I'm not on people coming to me and saying, here, pastor, here's something else that we think you should do. <laughs> However, what I've also discovered is that ministries seldom get traction if they don't have the buy-in of the lead pastor. They don't get much pulpit time. They don't get much resource. They don't get much attention. Um, so I would encourage you after you pray, set a meeting, call the senior pastor and say, I've got to tell you what the Holy Spirit's wrecked me about. And to begin to have a conversation with them about the need in the community and about the mobilization of the church. But you need to engage the senior pastor, the lead pastor, get them in the game early on. Here's the third thing that I would encourage you to consider. Form a task force of volunteers who have a passion for children in crisis. So what do you need? You need a team of individuals. So who's, who's your A team? When I, when I knew that we had to start Father's Heart, I didn't look for the folks in the church who were not doing anything. I wanted the movers and the shakers, and I went after the movers and the shakers. I wanted folks who could make something happen a part of this task force. And I recruited them. Now, again, I know... It's a little different because I have this title of lead pastor, uh, but I recruited folks who could make things happen because I knew that what God was calling us to was bigger than myself. And I, you know, I've got other things that I need to be doing as well as being a part of it. So I needed players in the game. So who's, who's, this, who's the group of volunteers that you can bring together who you know can help you move the needle in relation to children in crisis. So form a task force. Here's a fourth point of action. Discover the need in your community and the places you might be able to serve. So this now is about beyond the church. Who are the players in the community? I know for us, there's an organization called Bethany Family Services. There's Lutheran Family Services. And then a big one for us is the county, uh, the Department of Social Services in North Carolina. 
That's the big group that we spend most of our time and energy helping. But you need to discover the places in your community. And then after you discover those places and create the relationship, it's really important that churches follow through. This is one of the first things we did is um, where our church is geographically located, we draw people from four counties. And so I said, I want a meeting with Department of Social Service in each county. And so my assistant set a meeting, um, and again, numbers, whatever the numbers are, God's blessed us with a bit of resource, and so I took a check for $500, and I went to four different county agencies, and I sat down in their offices, and I said, we want, it, we want in the game. We want to help you. We're committed. Here's $500 we want to invest uh, and, and one of the things that shocked me is they said, you know, a lot of churches have come, but they didn't follow through. So if you're going to go to the counties and you're going to say, we want to we end the game, we want to help, then follow, follow through. But discover who are the players. And it's different in every county and every region. But in your region, what I can tell you is there's children in crisis and there are people who are already in the trenches doing the work. Who are the people? Because you want to collaborate with them. You want to become partners. For, for us at Grace Covenant, I wanted to be, I wanted our church to be the first, the first people they thought of when we need help. They had my cell number. I, I, I want them to call us. We would have a role in the game. So discover the need in your community. Here, here's a, another point. Consciously connect with agencies working with at-risk children. So, again, discover the state workers. This is one of the things I know about North Carolina. And as we're on this conference call, what I hear other members of the team saying in different regions is that the state workers are overwhelmed, overworked, and under-resourced. And that's, that seems to be true across the United States. Overworked, overwhelmed, the need is too great, they don't have enough help, and they're under-resourced. So, so, so who are those folks, and how can you connect with them? You know, a couple of things that, that we do, uh, and these are just ideas. You don't have to do this, but just ideas. One of the things I came to discover is the counties were not talking. The agencies were not talking. They had become siloed, working their tails off, but siloed. And I thought we should do something about that. So once a quarter, we, we have a lunch. We provide a lunch at a restaurant, and we invite all of the players to the table and we cover their lunch just so they'll talk, just so they would begin having conversation. Uh, another thing we do, maybe you're not aware of this, but the month of March is Honor Your Foster Care Worker Month. So the month of March, for, for the four counties we were, that we work with, um, we sent Starbucks gift cards, we sent platters of cookies, just a little something to say, hey, we believe in you. We believe in what you're doing. And so yeah, in the midst of being overworked, um, you know, how could we encourage them? So connect with the folks who are doing the work. Here's uh, the sixth point of action. Define the role your church will play in serving children in crisis and develop a game plan. Listen, the need in every state is greater than you can solve on your own. So what's your role? Define that role. You know, don't, get so, don't get so scattered out that you really can't make a difference. W what is the role? For us, we narrowed it to the people that we're going to first partner with are the, um, the state workers, the county workers, DSS. That, that is our first go-to. It's the greatest point of need. It's where they need the greatest resource. So, so what's the role that your church will play in making a difference? Here's another point of action. Consistently bring awareness to your church family, to the present need, and how they can help solve the problem. This is a big one for me. Listen, there's people every Sunday showing up at your church who love Jesus, who if they knew, they was, if they knew there was a need, they would do something. But they don't know. That's what I came to discover once we begin to platform some of these state workers, and once we begin to platform um, and tell stories of children in crisis, man, they were ready to do something. 
And so one of the roles that the church can have is bringing awareness of the need. And so what we do at Grace Covenant, we just kind of developed this routine. The month of April is Foster Care Awareness Month. The month of November is Adoption Awareness Month. So in the month of April, in the month of November, we take time on Sunday morning, five to seven minutes. We tell stories. We do interviews. We show videos. We bring um, social workers on the platform. We pray for them. Um, Again, just bringing awareness. Because, again, there's people in the pew who want to make a difference in the lives of children. That's what I believe. I believe that people who love Jesus want to make a difference with their lives. So give them the opportunity simply by bringing awareness um, of the need. Um, And then after we have the awareness, when we do the awareness on a Sunday, we already have it scheduled two weeks out. We have an informational meeting. Anybody that wants more information, if they want to go deeper, if they have questions, then we follow that up with an informational meeting. But we want to continually bring awareness. Here's the last point of action create support ministries for families that foster and adopt. So there's endless ways, endless ways that you can support. But as individuals in your church family begin to foster and adopt, there's going to be pressing needs. So how can we rally the church family? Because, again, everyone can do something to make a difference in the life of a child. Not everyone can foster, but everyone can do something. So we, what we tried to do is get as creative as we could as to how can we engage the whole congregation to address the issue. Every person in the pew. And so we created like multiple opportunities. We do a thing called um, Kids Night Out. So five times a year we do a Friday evening where foster and adoptive parents bring their kids out and they go out for dinner and a movie, whatever they want to do, and we're loving on their kids. What, we're just supporting them. We have, a, we have another thing that we do at Grace Covenant where if we hear that a family gets a child in their home, so DSS calls and says, hey, we, we have a child that needs a, a home. Are you willing to foster this child? A- as soon as we get that call, um, we write a check for $200 to that family because most children in the system, when they come into a foster home, everything they own is in a trash bag. So there's basics like toothpaste and underwear and whatever the family needs here's money go to walmart wherever you shop and buy what you need we also created a warehouse uh, called the father's hand where we take um, strollers car seats uh, twin beds chest of drawers just the basics again everyone in the congregation they have things they want to donate so now we're just trying to get everyone in the game because everyone can do something to make a difference in the life of a child. And so they donate these gently used items. We have them at the warehouse. So when the counties call or when families in our church need a car seat, a stroller, well, hey, let's go to the warehouse and let's let's see what we have and you can have whatever you want. Um, We have a support group that meets on a weekly basis because families who are fostering are bringing children into their home that are in crisis. And when children have crisis, they bring crisis to the foster home. So families need support. We have a meal ministry. If if a family brings a child in, we try to provide meals for three days just to give the family time to adjust. Those are just ideas, random ideas. I don't know what it's like in your situation, but get your task force together and say, hey, how might we serve families and support families who are fostering? So these are just some These are just some ideas that we have experienced as we have been at Grace Covenant and in North Carolina where we've been trying to make a difference in the lives of children in crisis. You know, as you hear the number 427,762 children in crisis, you may feel feel a a bit overwhelmed by that number. I mean, that's a big number. But again, as we begin to break it down to states, to counties, to communities, to local churches. Again, I, I live with this conviction. We can solve this problem. All we have to do is mobilize the church to mobilize people who love Jesus to be about the work of Jesus, which is restoration. As I was kind of praying through this whole process, I, I really believe 
and it's a bit dangerous me saying this, but I really believe that God gave me a prophetic word, a prophetic sentence for our Foursquare family. And, and this is the sentence, and, and I'm going to pray, and I'm finished. We'll get the panel up here. But this is what I really felt the Holy Spirit spoke to me concerning our Foursquare family. It was this, be the family that creates family for children in crisis. Be the family that creates family for children in crisis. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the folks here. For Obviously, God, there's some point of interest. Obviously, Lord, either you have done or you're presently stirring something in their hearts. And God, I just ask that you would continue to guide them as to next step. Lord, I pray that within our Foursquare family that there would be a movement um, that would impact churches to where we had every, heard every church. Just, just imagine every Foursquare church mobilized to make a difference in the lives of children. Lord, the number, Lord, as you begin to do the math on that, the number's not hundreds of children. It's thousands, thousands of children's lives who will ever be changed. Simply because the Foursquare families said, hey, we're going to get in the game. We're going to make a difference. Lord, may that be true. May that be true not only for those in the room, but for our Foursquare family. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask the uh, task force that I have the privilege of just collaborating with and talking with for them to come and and uh, I don't know if any of us are experts, but what we have is experience. And so I'm going to pass this microphone and let them introduce themselves. And if you have any questions, they're doing great things in their churches as well. So they would have ideas. And so I'm going to pass it to Molly. Well, welcome. It is so exciting to see the room packed out with people with a passion for these kids. Um, my husband and I, he's in the back, sitting down right there, um, <coughs> have adopted six kids from the foster care system. Um, we just finalized our sixth one, Vernon, this last September, um, and he is 12 years old. We got him when he had just turned nine. Um, our first two kids were four and five when we got them, uh, brothers, two brothers, and then we got a brother and a sister, and then... I thought we were done, and then we weren't. And um, our, our children's pastors were fostering a little boy that they had had since he was a year and a half old, and he was available for adoption when he was three. And at staff meeting, my husband goes, oh, congratulations. And they're like, we're not going to adopt him. And he goes, oh, well, maybe we will. And he looks at me, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> he said, we'll adopt him. <laughs> and um, then our two oldest boys graduated from high school, and one is a Marine in North Carolina. <laughs> and um, my husband was like, it's too quiet around here, and the van's too empty, and so what do you think about fostering? And I'm like, I've always been open to fostering. So we began to do that, and then we got our sixth child because... Was he, he had been in seven placements before he came to us. There were a, a lot of, um, he had experienced a lot of trauma in his life and, and uh, behaviors, and we're just too stubborn to ever give up. And so he's doing amazing now, and he's our 12-year-old. But that's how we got into it. We went into um, the whole system to adopt um, at first. And once we did that, as our church, without even making any declarations of, hey, let's get on board like you did, um, it just became an infectious thing. And I think a lot of it was the awareness that people experienced just from seeing us adopt these kids and where did you get them and how does all of that work. It just exploded in our church. And people just began taking the classes and fostering and adopting, and it was just a beautiful thing to see. And that was about 18 years ago. And it has continued. And um, so now we, we do a lot of things like you do of just um, supporting the system and supporting the workers and providing different resources and support groups. And uh, we call it foster parent night out. The, the children call it kids night out. 
And from doing that, um, we have five people this year from serving at that and getting to know the kids that have now taken the classes to either provide respite care or become foster parents themselves. So it is, it's the exposure and just the awareness is, is amazing. But <laughs> I'm Sherilyn Wilson, I'm the senior pastor in Tigard, Oregon, a little bit outside of Portland, not too far from, from Raleigh. Um, we kind of got drug into the system um, we weren't quite expecting it. <laughs> um, there was a baby, a grandbaby of someone in our church that needed us, and we didn't know what we were stepping into. And all of a sudden, we were in the foster system, and um, our there was 10 years in between our youngest <laughs> to having a baby in the home. Um, we got thrust into kind of round two of, of having children, and uh, it's just been an amazing journey. Um, all of a sudden, all the classes and all the people in our home, and it's just, it's, w when you take risks, it's not easy, right? <laughs> but talk about one of the greatest things that we've done, and a lot of joy. And uh, we've had her for, we got her at two weeks old, we've had her for almost, yeah, two and a half years, and the adoption just went through in April. <laughs> ah! <laughs> It was a long-fought process um, right before Palm Sunday, and that was a really fun announcement, I'll tell you. God always has the right timing. Even though we want to tell him when the right timing is, we can trust, can't we? And uh, that baby has just been um, the community's baby. She has touched our entire community. She's touched our church. She's touched our families. It's just uh, to be able to live out the gospel and not just talk about it is a pretty powerful thing, and it's opened doors for us and put us into a whole new arena of ministry that we didn't expect. And once you step in, once you're aware, like you are today, you can't step away from it when you know the need and you know what's out there, and uh, we're all just in this together making a difference. Like Cheryl Lynn, we, um, my name is Sarah Eads, and I'm from Junction City, Oregon, and we were thrown in it. Um, I, we received a phone call out of the blue and said, there's a distant family member, you're related to this baby, and we have nowhere to put him. He had been in three foster homes. He was seven weeks old. And I was like, what? We were just kind of, my husband's here in the back, but we were just a little shocked, like, I don't know, like, like okay. And so <laughs> I guess we'll take a baby. Our youngest at the time was 12 years old. And, um, and so I have two older boys also. I think one was a, a senior in high school and the other one was a junior. And we're like, okay, I guess we'll take a baby and kind of did some paperwork. And she calls me one Friday and says, are you home? And I said, yeah. And she goes, all right, he's going to be here in a half an hour. <laughs> and I was like, called my husband, I guess we're going to have a baby. And, and literally, <laughs> I didn't know what that was going to look like. We didn't know. I mean, literally, he just came with the clothes on his back. There was nothing else. And our senior pastor people from our church brought us diapers and brought us things that, and blankets and people made blankets like this place. I'm working on a quilt. Here, here it is. And just so overwhelmed with the love. And like what was said was that when a baby comes in, there it, there's a lot of cost. And the caseworker is like, oh, figure out what formula he's in or what bottle because he'd been in so many different homes. There was no, there was no schedule. And so just just the love and learning to be in the foster care system and realizing there is such a need of people to try to just step in and give or make quilts and, and blankets for, for children that come in. Just simple things. We have so many women in, the, in our church that love to make blankets. And that was just such a blessing just to have and, and receive. And um, so his adoption took about two years, and once we finished that adoption, we found out that mom was expecting again, because <laughs> we were like, we're done with this <laughs> chapter of our life, and um, we just really felt we're not going to allow siblings to be separated, and so we um, now have a two-year-old, he's almost two, and we are just weeks away, hopefully weeks, <laughs> from finalizing his adoption, but working through that journey and just seeing the need and stepping up for that need. And just another way that our church has supported us and our senior pastor during meetings, we have ch we make sure there's child care for, um, for us and to provide for me so that we can take in these children. And 
have that opportunity to still be able to serve. And we um, also, in our community, it's called for every child. And so when foster parents come in for training, we help set up for meals for these families before they come into training. And so that's um, starting to develop and happen. And so that's a great way just to help serve foster families in our community. My name is Natalie. I'm from Indiana, and we got into foster care because we wanted to adopt and then said we had to be licensed as foster parents to adopt this set sibling set, and then we've stuck with fostering. Um, and I don't know if we'll go back to adoption or what, but we're just happy to serve. Um, and it has been a journey, but one of the coolest things is that this has led uh, me to get involved in the prevention side. So we found out our county didn't have a child abuse prevention council, and every other county in Indiana had one. And so we started one, and so I'm the president of the Child Abuse Prevention Council, which is like <laughs> the craziest hat to wear. And it's not a lot, um, but it's really fun to sit with other people in the communities. And because I'm a pastor and we're all about interdenominational ministry, I roped in all my pastor friends in town. And so now this, there's a whole group of churches interacting with all these other community agencies um, to work towards child abuse prevention, which is really fun that maybe we could prevent the epidemic from getting worse. So I think we're going to open it up for questions. If you guys have questions or anyone else want to share. I know it's like lunchtime. So we also will hang out. If you need to go, please feel free to go. Hi. So my name's Kat. Um, it's Takasha. And uh, I live in northern New Hampshire. And I work for a family resource center. And my official job title is actually reunification specialist. Um, and what I do is we work very closely with DCYF and we get our clients as, as the cases come in. Um, we are the ones who oversee the supervised visitation time. We work with the parents specifically and we get say, here's what DCYF says you need to do if you want your kids back. How can I help you? And so a lot of our job is described as like we're really um, – healing two different generations um, because most of these parents who lose their kids were not given a good childhood themselves. They weren't given skills. They weren't given parenting things. So we offer parenting classes. We offer um, anger management classes. We offer stuff on um, sobriety. Uh, most of my coworkers and I are all on the path to become certified recovery coaches because of the opioid epidemic you know, that we need to understand the drug epidemic, we need to understand childhood trauma, we need to understand ACEs, we need to understand all these different things to really come. And when you see parents who totally screwed up and are totally broken, and then you see their children light up in a visit just because they want to see their dad, and then we get to come in and say to them, and that's part of my favorite part of my job, is I get to say, like, you did really well today. Like, they were so happy to see you. They, you provided a really healthy lunch. Whatever it is to, like, help them keep moving forward. And some of these parents are not going to get their kids back. Some of these kids are still going to end up being up for adoption because it's just, they're just so broken. And it's just too much. But some of them do succeed. And for the record, June is reunification month. Um, so th in, in our Lane County, it's for every child before, if a parent says, I need help, and it's not bad enough for DHS to enter in, there are places and homes that are taking in children so that parents can go into a rehab center to get the support and help they need before um, DHS intervenes. And so that just became open um, this month in Lane County. I'm going to interrupt us just for a second for those of you who need to slip out. <laughs> yeah, I want to mention something that we have. We have USB drives in the back um, with some information. The first thing on there is a chart with emails for all of us if you want to contact us. Sue Spousta, if you want to get added to the, the uh, network calls and kind of check it out, see if that's something that you'd like to be involved in. There's a list of easy ways to get involved for churches, just kind of brainstorm those kinds of things. The, the sheet that um, Farrell mentioned, 
the church in Bend that has an awesome outline, a plan of how they kind of attacked the city. Um, their plan is called City Without Orphans. And uh, there's also a list of resources with books and, and agencies and different things to check out. So please make sure you get that. Please make sure you sign up on the, the sheet back there as you go out um, or check us out and let us know if you want something. Okay, we'll jump back into questions. kind of done. <coughs> Just in response to his question, one of the um, simple things that has kind of organically happened at our church as well is a mentorship program um, for um, women that are in recovery um, or in the jail system. We actually had a, a judge approach our associate pastor who tried to get something started years ago and they shut the doors. But it's funny when you go through a financial crisis and, and the need is great he reached out to us and says, is there anything that you can do for these ladies? Because they come every week, they'll do the things, but their lives aren't changing. And she said yes, and she stepped into that several years ago, got some other gals together, they call the church ladies, <laughs> and they get assigned one-on-one -on -one, uh, mentor. And they meet with them, and they go through uh, these studies together that are Christian-based, and their lives are changed. And they help them model for them what parenting is like and help them as they get their kids back of kind of going through that process. So there's so many ways, just like Farrell said, that you can get involved. It's just what is it that God has resourced you with? It may just be a facility. Our facility is used every day during the week for visitation um, because the kids can come and there's, you know, classrooms that are, kid-focused and safe, and it, it's nice, and they get to meet their parents there. One time we had an event going on, and they couldn't come, and the kids were like, we want to go to the church. <laughs> and I thought, this is great seeds that are getting planted. We literally are across the parking lot from DHS, and so our door is always open for them. They do their trainings there, because we've got a facility with sound systems and everything that they need that's already set up, and so we have a wonderful working relationship, and sometimes it's just letting them know, hey, we're over here. I mean, they can see us, but in your town, find them and say, we've got a facility that isn't used during the week or whatever you have available, and just open it up, and you would be surprised how a relationship begins to be built and, um, you know, between the two uh, organizations. So. Thank you so much for uh, coming. Hopefully this has at least planted a seed of something that you can take back to the local church. Because, again, I believe we get there's a problem here we can solve to bring the restoring hope of Jesus into the lives of children in need. So if there's any way that we can help with that, um, you have our contact information. God bless you. Have an awesome day in Nashville.